Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. Actually, it'll, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, if you want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, um, it's one that's a good one to keep up. Uh, keep open during this week. I think it's a good one to keep reading. But we're, one of the things we're going to do is uh, this uh, ancient practice called Lectio Divina. And um, like I warned you guys last week, uh, one of the things we're doing is we're definitely digging into um, not being spectators, but being participants. So like when we come together on a Sunday, that we're not just hearing God's word, that I'm not just preaching it, but we're participating with our hearts, with our minds, with our bodies. And so one of the things that this Lent guide does and, um, and what Lent does for us is it gives us the season of subtracting things. So some of you guys have um, given something up for Lent um, in order to add in time with God to hear the voice of God, to begin to engage with God. And um, what this guide does is it breaks down a couple of different ways to engage God because we want to engage God not just with our minds, with our bodies, um, with our hearts. And so Lectio Divina is one of those ways where you read Scripture, you sit and you meditate on it, and you read it a few times, you read the same passage, and you allow it to speak to you. And you see what kind of words pop, uh, pop out at you, um, how it begins to speak into your life. And then um, there's this thing they're calling audio divina, which is basically listening and hearing um, like songs, like our time of worship. I really appreciate you guys leading us in worship this morning. And I think the reason we worship and what it does for me, and maybe it does for you, maybe it will at some point, is it it engages us in a way that um, that I feel like only music does. It engages our relationship with God in a way that um, that I see only music does, um, that intellectually I can start to think about God in all these different ways, but when I begin to come with my emotion and I come with our voices and we sing, there's something different and unique about that that, um, that we've done. And so in the guide, there's a couple of um, QR codes that basically take you to some um, pre-made um, playlists that allow you just to engage and, and hear kind of the songs that tie in with these passages. And then uh, Visio Divino, which is basically iconography, which we're going to get into like we did last week. And so I'm going to pull up a, an image, an ancient image that we're going to look at. Um, and then uh, the Camino Divino, which is basically like the road, right? So the way that you begin to live this out. And so it gives you a challenge and a way to do that. And so we're going to do a couple of those steps and, um, and step right into it. So um, if this is something new and it's something that you're like, I've mentioned this before, like I always want to keep reiterating this. Lent should never be something that you give up something just because someone said so or because the church, like, said so. Like, it should be something that, like, if you give it up and it's not working for you, scrap it and take on something different. And if you're new to it and you're just starting out, then just jump right into it and take it on. It doesn't have to be specifically those 40 days. It's more of our heart, our posture towards engaging God and wanting to hear from him. And so um, I hope it never gets so rigid that you guys don't hear that this is at all uh, kind of a rigid way of doing this whole thing, but um, that it's meant just to draw us closer to God. And so the first thing I want to do is Lectio Divina. And um, so I'm going to read it. And this is kind of foreign to do in a, in a setting like this, in a church service, where um, you guys are going to have to engage. So I said before, like, you're going to have to read it. Um, you're going to have to allow it to speak to you. Um, I'm not going to give you all the definitions and where this is at and what it's all about and get super intellectual about it and philosophical and get all like into what's happening here, but just let these words 
however it may speak, because I trust that the Holy Spirit will move and speak to you. Um, but I'm going to read it, and I want you just to listen. Okay, so we're going to read it three times. Uh, but the first time, I want you just to listen and, and just kind of get what's happening here. Okay, so here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Okay, that's the first reading. The second reading, I'm going to read it again. See what word stands out to you. What word or phrase stands out. And if you want, close your eyes and just listen to it as it's being read so you don't get analytical about the passage in any way. Um, but let's read it again. What word or phrase? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments I, that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as, a symbol, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames uh, of, your ho- of your houses and on your gates. If something stood out, I would encourage you to write it down, put it in your phone, break out your notes, um, then maybe God might be trying to speak something into your life at this time about it. Um, every time you read scripture, the Holy Spirit is with us, and he will prompt or bring to mind certain things in life, certain scenarios, maybe things that you're going through, maybe things that you're struggling with, um, the, the challenges that we face, the great things that we face, um, and scripture will speak to us at different times, that this passage may be something that uh, there may be a portion of it that spoke to you differently if you've read it a long time ago than it would now. And maybe if you read it next week, it'll be totally different um, when you read it then. Um, but would anybody like to just shout out, like you don't have to give the reason or what the background is, but what f- word or phrase stood out to you? Impress them on your children. I'm going to hesitate to not force any commentary (laughs) or any, uh, yeah. Uh, Anybody else? Nice. Write them on your door frames. That was one that stood out to me. Make them evident everywhere. Anybody else? Any word or phrase that stood out? Nice. It's interesting how scripture does that. And it's interesting to do that in a church service, to have quiet and not just be told. Um, I think there's something about participating and not consuming and allowing God to speak to us. So reflection, response, 
does something to us. It transforms us. And I've already seen in these last couple of weeks as we've been doing this, doing church a little differently and running our services a little differently that um, the responses that you guys gave these last couple of weeks have been inspiring. Um, as we asked that question last week and kind of had you guys text in anonymously what uh, Lent has been doing for you. And, um, and I just want to read some of those responses and for you guys to see those responses again. Um, if yours is in there, don't blow your cover and yell it out. Oh, that's mine. Um, but uh, what we begin to learn as we begin to listen to the Holy Spirit, as we begin to engage, is that it transforms us. That's what I love about the songs that we sing is it reminds us that God is there transforming us. And then he call, calls a response to us to respond out of love. And this is what begins to take place. Um, feel better from not eating junk food. I lack balance. I'm learning that I feel that I really like stuff. <laughs> I think we all can agree uh, in some way, right? Um, that there's uh, blind spots being revealed that need to be given up. That the things that enslave us don't define us. Uh, how true is that? Um, we get enslaved by so many things. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, time saved from removing unproductive tasks like social media. It does save us time, doesn't it? <laughs> when you begin to remove those things out of our lives. Um, more energy and patience. And so those are just a couple of the ones that I threw in there that I thought would just be encouraging for you guys to see that God is moving, that God does these beautiful things as we begin to lean into what it means to subtract things from our lives and begin to allow God to fill in those voids and fill in those gaps. Um, something really powerful about it. And, um, and I know it can be challenging. I know it can be intense and it can demand a lot from us, but it is, that's the fruit of it. That's how it begins to take place. And that's what I think convinces me that the faith that we have in Jesus is a real faith. It's a reality. It's a life transforming thing that begins to uh, bring new life. And so the second thing is I want to look at the icon for this week, um, and the Visio Divina. And so iconography is one of those things that I mentioned last week is all around us. Like we're constantly around icons. And I asked like, what about our building tells you that we're a church? And we all agreed pretty much nothing. <laughs> there's no crosses. There's nothing in this room except for what goes up on our screens that tells you that we're a church, right? Um, but ancient churches all had stained glass, um, stained glass that told a story, right? And, um, and I'm beginning to think about that. Like today, we have icons all around us. We have things that we worship constantly. So shout out what these all mean, what all these images tell us. What are they? Just yell them out. Yeah, they're like, gas? What's that? <laughs> yeah, that's a big one right now. Um, I, I'd be curious, like, if you dropped all these symbols to someone 100 years ago, would they know what's going on? No. no. But we have a different version of stained glass now, right? This is our stained glass. And this is the one that tells us what's important because we all know what those are. No, I mean... The fact that we know what those are is because we've been so ingrained by either advertising or we've been sucked into the fact that we need those, right? Um, and for parts of life, yeah, we need them to survive and to have our jobs or whatever or to eat. But sometimes I think those things pull us into where they become the thing that we worship, the thing that we care about so much, right? And so when we use the word worship, I know that, that can sound really intense. We're like, I'm not worshiping Target, but 
if I said, where do you spend your time, money, effort, energies, focus, all that stuff, could it be Starbucks? Could it be any of those places? I and mean, probably some of us would say, yeah, maybe it's not one of these symbols. Maybe it's another symbol. It doesn't have to be these. Um, that when we think about where our, our energy goes, they can consume us, right? And those end up being the things that we worship. And so when we talk about icons, these are things that speak to us, that tell us something about who we are. And there's some, I don't want to throw anybody in the bus, but like sometimes we think that we have to have certain images, right? In order to be approved, to be liked, to be um, accepted in our culture. Um, But when we talk about icons that speak and speak powerfully and speak truth, um, images, they, they have... They have a thousand words, right? And so check out this next image. Um, It's called the unburnt bush. And so these uh, religious icons, these paintings have been around for hundreds of years and have had such an impact, um, I guess, in the ancient church because when they saw images like this, it spoke to them in a way that, um, that said something about who they are and something about who God is, right? And so what we see here is Mary with Jesus in the burning bush and you got Moses and what I want to hone in on is the fact that there's this burning bush, okay? So there's so many layers that, um, as Andy would point out, like as an artist, that like artists drop in all kinds of little things that are very intentional, like none of it is by mistake. And I'm sure if we got into all the little details, there'd be all these little things that the artist was trying to convey and, and teach us. But the one thing I want to focus in on is the burning bush, because that's what it's, the emphasis of it and the focus of it. So the burning bush comes from Exodus 3, where... Um, God engages Moses um, through this burning bush. Moses is walking along, uh, and he's a shepherd, and so he sees this bush that somehow isn't consumed by fire. So the bush is on fire, but it's not burning up, right? Like a bush should just suddenly like turn into just ash after a little while, but it just kept burning, and it wasn't being consumed. And so he leans in and goes, what is going on here? And God begins to speak to him through this. And, um, and so this burning bush, this fire that doesn't consume is kind of a symbolism for, uh, for the Holy Spirit, for how God moves. And you see it throughout Scripture. It's throughout the Old Testament. Um, you see the fire in the temple. You see fire um, with the Israelites as they're in the desert um, that guides and leads them. And then you begin to see in the New Testament, the early church, um, as Jesus like commissioned them with the Holy Spirit, it says like tongues of fire came down on them, right? And they were able to speak in all these different languages. And so the Holy Spirit carries this connection with fire. It's a way for us to understand it. And so um, I brought some fire with me to kind of capture what's going on with fire. And this is actually really, really hot fire. I use this to melt lead in my wood shop because um, I, I build custom spear guns and you have to melt down lead in order to like ballast them. And so I use this because it's, uh, what is it? Uh, what is it? Butane, uh, map Pro? It's Map Gas. So it's super hot flame that when you light it, it gets really, really hot, right? And I have a flame contained here at the flip of a switch. Fire, no fire, right? So... I'm able to contain the fire in a way that is useful for me to melt lead or to burn something. Or like when I pour epoxy, I use this to take the bubbles away from the epoxy. Um, It does all kinds of stuff for me. Or if I'm lighting my fire, this is a really quick way to light a fire. You just (laughs) torch it real quick. Um, And uh, we've we've gotten to this place where fire is very tame to us, right? Um, Ryan could 
attest to this. Fire can be out of control. As a, he's a firefighter. He understands that fire can be out of control, right? This is controlled fire. If I keep this too long and hold it on the ceiling, we have uncontrolled fire, right? So fire can be contained in this way that for us, we think we can control it. And this analogy of fire, I think, is really beautiful because I think sometimes the Holy Spirit, we feel like we can control it. We're like, God speaks to me this way in this time and for this moment. And we think that, like, that's kind of what he's limited to. Um, But there's something beautiful about the fact that fire can be contained but can also be out of control. And and Scripture talks about it being uh, the Holy Spirit being an all-consuming fire, right, that comes in and takes over our lives but not in a way that's out of control. So in a consuming fire that isn't raging in a way that it's out of control, but it's actually in control. And there's a way that we can be fully consumed by other things, right? I showed you guys that list of stuff. Those can be a fire that is out of control that consumes us and takes over us. Um, And so in this analogy, I think it's interesting because there's so many layers to fire and how it connects to us and God. Um, Fire brings warmth, right? but it also can bring destruction if it's out of control and not harnessed in the right way. Uh, Fire refines gold. You guys know this, right? That like when you refine gold, they torch it and they keep putting heat to it over and over and over until all the impurities go away and it's just left with the pure gold. Um, So fire has this ability to refine things. Another great analogy for our lives, how God's fire comes in and refines us. Um, But as I began to think about that, I was like, what? Like, why would he use this image of the consuming fire in our lives, in Moses' life, in Mary, and, uh, well, just Mary's life, right? Because she then is consumed by the fire that ends up having Jesus, um, which is an interesting uh, connection there. But the idea of fire being something that comes into our lives, that transforms life, that brings warmth, that brings life, like we cook over fire, right? It gives us food. Um, And there's so many ways that it begins to paint this picture of who God is in our lives. And so when we talk about Lent and we talk about these images, I hope that an image like that can now speak to you, that I've given you guys a whole list of analogies and ways that the fire has spoken to us or can speak to us and represents the Holy Spirit. And, And so I just encourage you, like as you look at these images, as you look at it this week, begin to see how that fire is speaking to you. Because maybe you need to hear the fact that that fire is warm and that it brings comfort, right? Um, Maybe you need to hear that it refines you because there's things in your life that you need, that you're consumed by that need to be burnt away. Um, So I would just say, sit with that image. Sit with it and begin to let it speak to you. Again, I'm just encouraging us to be participatory and not just observers or not just spectators, but participate with what it means to engage icons, music, uh, these images, right? Um, The Word of God and the Holy Spirit, just all in these different ways. And so um, one of the ways that I want to, I guess, illustrate, this is kind of dangerous standing up like that. I'm going to lay that down. Uh, I could get out of control. Um, Is the early church understood this, and I'm going to kind of close with this idea that... um, the, under, the early church understood this idea of Lent and the season being a refining time that begins to transform life. Um, that in Acts, if you look at Acts 2, many of you are probably familiar with Acts 2.42, where like 
how they devoted their lives, right? And right before that is I want to show you this verse where Peter's preaching. And he says in verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in, in his proposal, in his message, in his talk to these unbelievers, he says, repent, which is this word of turning, right? So turn from the ways that you are going and the direction you're going and go in this direction towards Christ. Allow him to be the thing that leads you, not these other things. And then he says, and be baptized. And then he goes on and he talks about receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit, that we live into that Holy Spirit. And that's what begins to help us begin to see the difference between what consumes us and destroys us versus what consumes us and brings life, right? Like this holy fire that begins to set into our lives. And the very next thing, as you see, um, is what they were devoted to. So after they, like, say, I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn, I'm going to be about this new life, the first thing that you see what they're connected to and what they're about is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, says they were so devoted to prayer and just connecting to God and wanting to be like completely consumed with what God was doing as a result of this turning and changing their ways and changing their lives around. And, um, and so this, this idea of him saying, save yourselves, turn from this, see what is good, discern between what is destructive in life and what is truly good and what you find in Jesus in this life to the full, um, he says, you'll begin to see this. You'll begin to see that there's a saving action that happens on the result of what God does. And then they devoted themselves to it. And they said, we want to learn more about it. We want to pray about it. We want to sing about it. We want to continually eat together and pray together and be part of what it means to center life around Jesus. And so we engage in this season of Lent because it shapes us. It forms us. Uh, one pastor that I read talks about it deforming us, Right? It kind of sounds bad to say we're deformed, but we are deforming from the way that we are formed by the world. We're all formed continually. The fact that everybody knew what every logo was when I put up the Nike logo, the Starbucks logo, we've been formed, right? We've been formed to know that those things are all very important and they're tasty, they're delicious, they're good for life, whatever it is, gas in our tank. Um, but what but what Jesus invites us into is to be deformed to those ways and reformed into this new way of living, reformed into this way that, um, that's difficult. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's difficult at times, right? Um, and this shift towards reforming, reshaping our lives, reshaping our mindset and our hearts, um, it's what we call discipleship as the church. Um, it causes some, some friction there, and it's going to cause some challenge, some difficulty, some pain. That's why when we ask, like, what are the things that you've given up for Lent? Um, a lot of the response was like, yeah, it was really difficult, but here now I'm seeing the fruit of it. I'm seeing what's really good about giving up social media, that now I see that I have more time, that I'm not consumed by what everybody else is doing, that I'm starting to see that there's actual life in there, but at first you're, you're changing your ways, and that's difficult. Like, we like to keep things easy and comfortable, amen? Yep, <laughs> I'm right there with you. Um, so this shift towards discipleship causes pain because we want it easy. We want it simple. And so I'm gonna, I want to share a quick story about this guy, Paul Volcker. Um, this guy, so I was listening, I'm 
totally going to be a nerd right now for a second, okay? So um, I was listening to a podcast that was describing, um, because we have inflation, ridiculous inflation right now. You guys all know about that? Gas, 650 some places, right? Um, we're all hurting. And so there was this, uh, this, uh, this podcast episode that I listened to that talked about serious inflation. And anybody who's alive in the 70s, I guess, experienced way worse inflation than we have. I don't think, do we have anybody in the room that, no, okay. So we don't understand. But um, my, my parents, it still hurts. It still hurts us right now. But um, so interest rates went up. This was on Wednesday as a result of trying to fix inflation. So that's just like a, a little random fact that I didn't really know a lot about. But as I started nerding out on this stuff, I was like, okay, so when you raise interest rates, it causes a little bit of pain to the economy because people stop buying because you don't have as much, you, don't, you can't buy stuff as cheap. But it begins to drop inflation, okay? And what happened in the 70s was inflation went from like, people were buying groceries for $100. It went from $100 to $180. Can you imagine that? Okay, we're, we're griping about like a dollar in gas more, but like they were like, everything was nearly doubling, right? So that takes a big toll. That hurts. Um, and so this guy, Paul Volcker, was, uh, let me make sure I got it right. I don't want to get it wrong here. Uh, it's going to be on the podcast. It's going to be on there forever. Um, but no, uh, when inflation got out of control, he was the guy who came in as a, uh, sorry, what was he, um, he was an economist who basically came in under uh, Carter and said, basically, we have to raise the interest rates. He was the first one to say that and say that that's what begins to um, change the economy and, and fix everything. And when he did it, he raised interest rates all the way up to, I think it was like almost 20%. And so people were freaking out. So it was so bad that like, Construction workers and contractors and stuff were sending two-by-fours to the Capitol because they were so frustrated with what was happening. They were, like, sending those as, like, a protest. Farmers were driving tractors to the Capitol in protest to say, like, you got to change this up. But by him raising the interest rates, um, that crazy inflation that took place shifted. It was super painful for everyone. It was so much that they hated this guy. Like, he was like the sole cause of everyone's suffering in the United States at that time, and, um, or at least their economic suffering, I should say. Um, we've got to keep that in perspective. But um, that, and he felt the weight of it. He knew that he was doing something that would inflict pain, that would be difficult and challenging, but it actually ended up being really good. But it's, it talks about how like he wore a hole in his carpet from pacing so much because he was so stressed out carrying the weight of the economy, basically, from everybody, like, being super angry at him. Um, but he was just this super frugal guy that understood that you have to inflict some pain in order to change things up. And it worked. Everything leveled back out. It went back down, and everything changed. And, um, and then people praised him for it. And they were like, you're the man. Like, you made it happen. Paul Volcker, you're, you're awesome. And, and I, when I heard this podcast, it was like a 30-minute podcast, I was like just nerding out, like, wow, this is cool to learn about the economy in that way and kind of see what's happening in real time right now um, as they start to raise interest rates. And then I was like, that's kind of like our faith in some ways, that like there's a little bit of pain that's inflicted at times and where people are like, I don't know if I want to be a Christian because that's challenging. Like you guys are giving up stuff, like you're trying to like, you're not using your social media at times, like you're trying to give up things that... Um, that we all want and we all like and we think make us happy, but we realize that 
that initial pain that's inflicted isn't temporary, that it really is just us recognizing how shallow, how not fulfilling those things really are, right? Um, I shared last week that I've like cut out social media mornings and evenings and just how much more joy I have, how much more present I am. Even though it's difficult and I want to zone out, just like we like zoning out and watching TV or fill in whatever the blank is that you have, like whatever your vice is where you're like, I just like to zone out doing this. Um, it was kind of the thing that like, it was a good way to zone out. But then I've discovered that replacing it with healthy habits is really good. It's really life-giving. And, and I think we all have those. And I think that's what's beautiful about Lent is it gives us that season to go, yeah, we're going to inflict a little bit of pain. It's going to be a little difficult because you're going to give something up. It's going to be challenging but it's ultimately going to make you stronger. It's going to make you this disciple that's going to experience Jesus. And that's why I shared that list earlier of how you guys are experiencing life to the full as a result of it. Someone said patience. Is that awesome? Like we should be excited about that, that someone's experiencing more patience as a result of it. Like if that's the only thing that comes out of Lent, I'm stoked. Like I think that's amazing. And so that's what Jesus invites us into, and that's what this season of Lent does for us. And so I want to close with a video that begins to, I think, poke at our imagination of what can happen. And it's called What If? And it's this poem about, like, what if we begin to transform how we think? So let's, let's meditate on this and, and watch and see what it does and to speak to us. They say... You are an all-consuming fire. The Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, good and forgiving and living in your love that stretches from everlasting to everlasting. They say you give strength to the weary, increase the power of the weak, and bring the dead to life. You father to the fatherless, home for the homeless. You king of kings and lord of lords who created the cosmos without losing count of the hairs on my head. They say you are God. And when I think about you, God, I ask What if all the things they say are true, God? What if the songs we sing are more than a metaphor? What if Bible verses are more than a cute Twitter bio? What if when we pray, we're not just talking to ourselves? What if it's all more real than our current definition of reality can contain? What if it's all true? What if you're gracious? What if you're good? What if you're not meant to be understood? What if you give peace? What if you have mercy? What if you're a well drawing life for the thirsty, humble and fair? What if you care? What if you're here and we're unaware? What if you're holy? What if you know me? What if it's true? Jesus Christ was your only son. What if he's the one given for all to break down the wall? What if your call is for me to be free and to see a new reality? What if you're the key? What if you're the way? Ancient of days, El Shaddai, Adonai. What if you are, I am? What if you are? What if you could change me? Let your love rearrange me from the sin that estranged me to a Savior who claimed me. 
And even though I can't see you, what if I need you? And I know you will just be you while I sit here and ask, what if? What if? I think sometimes we need a bigger vision of who God is, and I know our community needs it big time. So I want to close with this thought that our community, our lives, even personally here, maybe this is something that's, that you're familiar with and you enjoy that life to the full, but maybe you need more of that and you need a reminder of his holy fire at work in your life. I know that was kind of scary. Um, but I know that our community needs it. I know that our community needs us to have that kind of imagination that says that God is fully present, that he's capable of doing amazing things, that he's capable of transforming lives in, in ways that we think is impossible at times. Um, I was at a grocery store yesterday, and a guy was beating up on his wife out in front of the grocery store and had this moment in my heart, like, do I run and help? What do I do? My daughter was with me. Um, but it was one of those moments where, like, you just, you go and you do, and you step in. And so, like, a bunch of us just rushed in and, and stopped what was happening and the abuse that was taking place there. And I thought about that, and I was like, there's so many of these things taking place constantly in our community where um, people need us to step in, not to think about it and go, should I go, should I not, should I preserve myself, or should I step out? I think... God invites us to step in and take action and participate in what it means to help and bring healing and new life. And so I want to close with this question um, that says, how do we hope to see God move in our lives? So if that's something in your life, um, then write that down. You guys all got a connect card. Um, make sure you have a blank card. And this is the action step that I want to give you is... Write down the thing that you think, that you hope to see God do to move in our lives or in our communities during Lent. Um, so think about that for a second. What I want you to do is write it down on a card, and then we're going to throw them on that back table back there. And I want you just to take the card that's not your card and pray over it this week. Um, and if that's something new and foreign to you, I just invite you to see what begins to happen. Um, if you already put a name on the card, then just grab one in the back there. And uh, we typically have a five-minute greeting right now where we just, instead of having our greeting in between the service, we go back, grab coffee, um, and just spend a couple minutes just greeting each other, saying hi, seeing how everybody's doing, and um, try and meet somebody new. And then um, on those cards, if you just take a moment right now, write down how you want to see God move um, in your life or in our community's life, um, community as in, in our church or in Oceanside, North County. Um, just write it down. And then what I want you to do is somehow figure out, like put your, your, uh, your card down there and uh, just make sure you don't pick up your own card again, okay? Does that sound good? I'm gonna close in prayer. While I'm praying, be thinking about that and write it down. Um, and then we'll just take five minutes to greet and, um, and we'll pray over those. And then just pray over it during the week, okay? Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for that you are an all-consuming fire that comes in and replaces um, these other things that we, we get consumed with that we 
think are just so good for us, but are so destructive, Lord. So help us to discern those things. Help us to allow you to completely consume our lives and be the thing that we center life around, that we, um, when we wake up in the morning, when our head pops off the pillow to the time we go back to sleep, Lord, I pray that every waking moment is just centered around you, God, that we are looking to your will, your ways in our lives. And um, yeah, we just long to see you move, uh, not only in our lives, but in our community. And so work through us, work in us, and, uh, and go before us as we leave this place, as we step out of these doors. Um, give us eyes to see the needs around us, ways that we can begin to step in and, um, and bring your love into this community and the world that we live in. Lord, we want your kingdom here as it is in heaven, as you taught us to pray. And so, um, yeah, we love you, Jesus. I thank you for each and every person here. And I pray that as we leave, you just go before us and lead us with your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen. So take some time if you want to just write down a couple of words or a sentence or something you want to be praying over. The big, the black table in front of the sound booth there, if you just leave them on there and then grab one that's not yours and pray over it this week and uh, rock and roll. Grace and peace.